Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I want to welcome all of you to Plum Creek, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I also have to give a big thanks to that group of kids up here singing about the fruit of the Spirit. Didn't those guys do a great job? I can tell you by experience that song will get into your head and not leave. But the good thing is, you'll know the fruit of the Spirit. So I really appreciate uh, those guys sharing that with us. And if you are new to Plum Creek, you should know this about our church. We love our kids and we love our students. And we place a high priority on leading this next generation to know and follow Jesus. And as I look around our church... I'm, I'm really optimistic about the future because I see young people who are young followers of Jesus, but they're growing into mature followers of Jesus. They're, they're growing in their love for God and their love for others, and I'm really encouraged by that. At the same time, though, I have something on my heart this morning, and I really feel led to share it with you. I've been looking at this generation that's growing up right now. And from my perspective as a parent and my perspective as a minister, I, I'm very concerned for these guys. I know some of you are right there with me. You're seeing, it you're seeing it too. Right now, there is a crisis among the young people in our country. Uh, right now, there is a crisis among the young people in our community and I know that's a general thing to say, so I'll give you some specifics. One of the things we're seeing right now is a mental health crisis. And of course, mental health is a big issue for all age groups right now, but I'm talking specifically about Generation Z. That's the group that was born anywhere between 1999 and 2015. And I saw an article this week that said, Gen Z is the most stressed out generation ever. Depression and anxiety are rampant. Uh, I also saw this week that in April of this year, the Association for Psychological Science released a study, and they found something disturbing. In recent years, the number of high school students who say they experience persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness has risen from 26% to 44%. That's the highest level of sadness ever recorded. So where is this mental health crisis coming from? Well, we could look at lots of different factors. One thing for sure is, you know, we've just lived through this pandemic. Uh, these kids have been through over two years of COVID craziness. But that's only one factor. There are many others as well. We can talk about the role of technology and screens and social media. And listen, I'm not anti-technology, but I think we can all agree uh, tech has changed our lives in some positive ways, but there have also been major negative side effects as well. We can talk about other factors too, like fear. When I was a kid, we never had lockdown drills we didn't have to see school shootings on the news over and over again. That was the furthest thing from our minds. I think about other potential causes for the mental health crisis. We have kids growing up in broken families, in dysfunctional families. We have widespread confusion about gender and sexuality. 
But my deepest concern for this generation, it really goes beyond mental health. I see a spiritual crisis in this generation. You may have heard about a trend of young people who are deconstructing their faith. And this trend is about kids who mostly, you know, kids who grew up in the church, but over time they, they really questioned Christianity, at least the, the kind of Christianity they grew up with, and now they're not sure they buy it. Many of them have abandoned their faith altogether. And if you look across Gen Z, there is a dramatic rise in the number of young people who call themselves atheist or agnostic or have no religious faith of any kind. Here's another statistic. Teenagers are twice as likely to call themselves atheists compared to the general population. 13% to 6%. Now, I realize for most of us, it's not fun to talk about this stuff. You might be saying, come on, Doug, I was really happy to see those kids up there singing, and now you got me down. And hey, that's, that's not my intention at all. But like I said, this is on my heart. If our church really loves kids and students, we've got to look at the reality, and we've got to confront this reality. And you know, even with the bad news, I am still encouraged because this crisis is not too much for God. It's not beyond the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Far from it. So where do we go from here? Well, I can tell you this. The solution is not to point fingers or to place blame. As a church, we should ask some tough questions of ourselves. We should evaluate our own lives. For all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, are we really serious about our faith? Are we living the kind of lives that would lead people, young people, to know and follow Jesus? Are we praying for God to work in the lives of this up-and-coming generation? Are we asking God to use us to be a part of the solution? Do we have a sense of urgency here? Or will we get up tomorrow and start just another day, just another week, doing what most people do, thinking about what most people think about. Because here's the deal. If followers of Jesus look pretty much like the rest of the world, we're not giving this younger generation what they need. Here's what I know about young people today. They are looking for something real. They're looking for reasons to believe that Jesus is real, that Christianity is not a man-made idea or some game that people play. And young people may not realize it. Uh, they probably wouldn't word it this way. But this generation is looking for ordinary people who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're looking for the fruit, the evidence that God is working in their lives. They're looking for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So needless to say, our current sermon series is very relevant. When a church is full of people who display these qualities, which are all based in the character of Jesus, people will see it. Gen Z and every other generation will see it. However, if the church is lacking in love, joy, peace, etc., 
people will see that too. People will be like, why would I want to hang out with a group that says they believe in a loving God, but they're just mean? Unfortunately, too many Christians have earned that reputation, but it doesn't have to be that way. God wants to transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can grow to become more and more like Jesus. It doesn't happen by our own willpower. It happens as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and we let him work. But this is where I need to bring up a major disconnect. I have one more statistic for you and I promise this will be the last one. A few months ago, George Barna released a study, and that study said, among parents of preteens who describe themselves as Christian, 76% dismiss the existence of the Holy Spirit. Wow. They, they might think of the Holy Spirit as a symbol of God's power, but not as the third person of the Trinity, which is how we see him in Scripture. So what do you think? If a person doesn't believe the Holy Spirit even exists, are we likely to see the Spirit working in that person's life? It's not very likely, is it? Now, I don't believe this statistic is accurate here at Plum Creek, not even close, but I do want to go back and ask those tough questions. Are we really serious about our faith? Do we believe the truth of God's Word? This was only one stat on a long list where people who describe themselves as Christians look at something that's clearly taught in the Bible and they either didn't know it was there or they just don't believe it. So do we believe it? Do we believe the Holy Spirit is real, that, that he will change us so that we can go out and change the world? If so, we got to act like it. I have a challenge for all of us today. It's an action step that I, all, I believe all of us need to take if, if we're going to respond to this crisis. And it may sound like a, a simple step, and I guess it is, but it's crucial. Our action step is to pray, to call on God and ask him to do amazing things in this generation, to pray that lives will be changed by Jesus and transformed by the Holy Spirit. We need to be intentional and consistent in the way that we pray. So I have some practical suggestions for you. First, pray for parents. Pray for parents here at Plum Creek who are currently raising children. Pray for wisdom and strength and definitely endurance as they lead these kids to know Christ. Pray also for our next-gen ministry. Pray for Jimmy and Darlene, our next-gen coordinator and all of the volunteers that serve in so many ways. And by the way, as you pray, ask God if he's leading you to join this ministry. Uh, we always need help because there are always more kids to reach. Pray also for our local schools and teachers and administrators. Man, these guys have a very difficult job. And it's tougher than it's ever been. They need our prayers and our support and our encouragement. And I have one more suggestion here. Can you just go out of your way to encourage this group? Let them know that you're praying for them. Write a note to your child's teacher or someone you know in the school system. Just say, hey, 
thank you for what you do. I'm praying for you. I know that will mean so much. That's the least we can do, right? Okay, one last suggestion. If you've ever tried to pray consistently and intentionally, you've probably seen it's, it's difficult to do that because it's hard to cover every area. There are so many things to pray for. That's why we've offered a tool here at Plum Creek as we go through this year of the kingdom. Every month we release a prayer calendar. And this calendar has a special focus for every day. Uh, we pray for ministries around here. We pray for the government, for schools, for missionaries, for unreached people around the world who need to hear the gospel. And we also pray for families, for kids and students. Just yesterday, the calendar said, pray for children to grow up to know and follow Jesus. And as you lift up these prayers, pray for specific children. Mention them by name. And pray not only that they'll know and follow Jesus, but also that they'll do amazing things for God's kingdom. This is another way for us to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my family, this calendar has been very useful. Uh, we use this every night to focus our prayers. It's been good. You can find one of these calendars in the Beacon newsletter, which you will receive if you are on our mailing list. You can also pick up a calendar in the back of the room here while supplies last. And you can go to our website, plumcreek.org prayer. And the online version of this calendar is very cool because it has links to resources that will help you pray. So that's it. That's what's on my heart this morning. And I know that's a lot. So thanks for being patient with me as I shared all of that. Uh, it's a good thing we talked about patience last week. But now it's time to look at today's fruit of the Spirit. And I want to go back and read that list from Galatians 5 one more time. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Every week during this series, we've, we've looked at two of the virtues on this list. And today we're going to focus on just one, faithfulness. We're going to see that God can help us live out our faith every day of our lives. And as we do that, as we are faithful to God and faithful to others in our human relationships, we are going to help this younger generation in a big way. So let's look at this. Earlier this week, I came across a good definition for the fruit of the Spirit. It said, the fruit of the Spirit is God producing His character in us. I like that definition because it's very simple and it's very straightforward. And I think... Uh, it's, it's going to be good for us to start here as we consider this topic of faithfulness. If God is producing his character in us, what does God's faithfulness look like? Well, we could go a lot of different places in the Bible to answer that question, but let's go back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In this chapter, Moses is talking to the nation of Israel, and he says this, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So what do we see here? 
We see that God is a person of integrity. He is honest and faithful, and he keeps his promises. This attribute, this attribute of God is, is something that will never change. We see that over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? It appears that we've run across something that God can't do. Back when I was a youth minister, uh, I remember it was pretty common for a kid now and then to try to stump me with a tough question. And one of the tough questions I got uh, fairly regularly went something like this. Could God create a mountain that is too heavy for him to lift? I encourage you to go home and ponder that this afternoon. But what's behind that question? Well, the kid is trying to get me to say that there are some things that God can't do. Either he can't make this mountain that's too heavy to lift, or he can't lift it, one or the other. But listen, this is not a dilemma. Uh, the Bible does say that all things are possible with God, and that is true. In another sense, though, there are some things that God can't do, or, or maybe he won't do. For, for example, God cannot exist and not exist at the same time. He can't compromise his character or his nature. He can't sin or, or do evil. He just is who he is, and he's not going to change. And as we see here in 2 Timothy 2, he will remain faithful no matter what. So that's God. But what does faithfulness look like in the life of a human being? Well, if you want a general description, you could say that faithfulness is just being a person of integrity. You're honest, you're consistent, you keep your promises. People can trust you because you don't go back on your word. If you are married, you keep the vows that you made to your spouse. If you're an employer, if you're an employee, you, you don't cheat your employer. If you are a parent and you tell your son or daughter that you're going to do something, you follow through and you do it. If you're a friend, you don't betray that friendship and turn your back on the other person. Now, I know that all of us want to be faithful 100% of the time. I also know that none of us is faithful 100% of the time. We've all broken a promise here or there. We've all been inconsistent in one way or another. And we're all guilty of being dishonest. At least I think we're guilty. Anybody want to raise your hand and say that you've never been dishonest? I hope not, because that would be proof that you're not always honest. So we're all in the same boat here. None of us have achieved this level of perfect faithfulness. So how do we make progress here? Well, let's look at a definition of faithfulness that's specific to the fruit of the Spirit. And this definition gets down to the root of the issue. Faithfulness is believing, trusting, and obeying God, even when it's tough. So why do we need this different definition? Well, if we start with the other one, we'll, we'll have this natural inclination to, to try really hard to achieve that goal. I, through my own willpower, I'm going to be a person of integrity. I will keep my promises. I will be honest and consistent. And 
yeah, it's, it's great to make that effort, but that's not the way to make real progress. The power to make real progress, real and lasting change, it has to come from God. We have to start with Him. So let's break this down and see how it works. I have two case studies to look at today. And the first one is a great example of what not to do. I want to go back to Genesis 3, to the Garden of Eden. I want to look at Adam and Eve. Now, what are Adam and Eve known for? Well, they're not really famous for being faithful, are they? They're famous for disobeying God. They ate the fruit that he told them not to eat. They sinned. And then they tried to hide. And when they were found, when they got caught, they tried to shift the blame to somebody else. So Adam and Eve are not stellar examples of integrity. But we shouldn't be too hard on them because we've all followed their example in some way. For the moment, though, we, we just need to figure out why they did what they did. How did they get to that point? Well, let's go back to our fruit of the Spirit definition of faithfulness. What's that first part? Faithfulness is believing God. And that's where the trouble began for Adam and Eve. Instead of believing God, they doubted the truth of His Word. God was very clear. He said, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat that fruit from that tree, you're going to die. Simple, clear instructions. But then the devil showed up in the form of a serpent. And that serpent went to Eve and he said, Come on, Eve. Don't be ridiculous. You really believe what God said? You're not going to die if you eat this fruit. The devil planted the seed of doubt in her mind. And that doubt started to grow. So he, he went on and he said, I'll tell you why God doesn't want you to eat this fruit. He's trying to keep you away from something good. Because if you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened. And you will know everything that God knows. And you know what happened next, right? Instead of trusting God, Eve questioned his motives. She looked at that fruit and, and she said, you know, that does look really good. Why would God keep me from something good? Maybe he's not so good after all. And from that point, it was a very short leap. Eve took the fruit and she ate it. She shared it with Adam and he ate it too. Instead of obeying God, they violated his command. And just like that, sin entered the world for the first time. The consequences of sin also entered the world for the first time. The consequences included pain, death, separation from God. It was a very high price to pay for a bite of fruit. And that's exactly how it works with us. The first step away from faithfulness is when we start to deny God's truth. It's when we stop believing God in a certain area. So think about it. Where would that area be for you? When might you be tempted to choose your truth over God's truth? Maybe he tells you that a certain behavior is wrong, but you decide, eh, I don't think it's that bad. 
Or maybe he tells you that you're headed down a bad road with terrible consequences, and you're like, eh, I think I can get away with it. Or maybe you're going through a time of suffering right now, and God tells you that he still loves you, but you have a hard time believing it. Maybe you feel like God is out to get you. Why is he not removing that suffering? Maybe he's not as good as you thought he was. And from there, if you stop believing and you stop trusting, it's a very short leap. It's a very short leap to disobedience where you just throw away that faithfulness. So that's our bad example, but let's, let's look at a positive one. I have one more case study today. It's another person we read about in the book of Genesis. It's Abraham. Now, like Adam and Eve and everybody else, Abraham did not live a perfect life. You see that in the Bible. But he did learn to believe God and trust him and live more faithfully. The, uh, the Bible records several examples of Abraham's faith. And I'll give you just one. Genesis chapter 12 this is where we see that God chose Abraham for a special mission, special purpose. Look at uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this was all part of God's huge master plan. Through Abraham, God would establish the nation of Israel. And through Israel, God would send Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And through Jesus, God would bless all people on earth by offering the gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life and a restored relationship with him. So that was the plan. But would Abraham agree to that plan? Well, check it out. If we skip over to Hebrews chapter 11, we see Abraham's response. Hebrews 11:8 says, By faith... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed, and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. So do you see how this lines up with our definition of faithfulness? First, Abraham gets this great promise from God. God says, Abe, I need you to relocate to a faraway land because I have a plan to bless your socks off, and then through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And how did Abraham respond? Well, he believed God, he trusted God, and he obeyed. The guy was 75 years old at this point, and he pulled up roots, and he moved way out to this land that was so foreign to him, this land that we later find out is Canaan, the promised land. But that was only the beginning. As the years go by, Abraham and Sarah just keep encountering these moments where they have to decide, are we going to believe God, trust God, obey God, or not? And like I said, they, they weren't perfect, but through their faith, they learned how to be faithful. So let's make this personal. How can we incorporate this kind of faithfulness into our lives? 
Well, first, you need to be on the lookout. Look for those times when you struggle to believe God. When you see something that God clearly says in his word, and you say to yourself, I'm not sure I buy that. So what is your role in that situation? Well, your role is to relinquish your version of the truth and accept God's truth. You respond by saying, God, I believe what you say. And you know, it often takes humility to say that. It's a humbling thing to say, God, I don't understand this at all, but I choose to believe you. You know, it's, it's okay to struggle with that. We're all going to struggle with that. There's a, a great story in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 9, there's a father who wants Jesus to heal his son. The father says, please, if you can do anything, help my son. And then Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And I love what the dad says next. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And right after that, Jesus heals the son. And I love that this verse is in the Bible. This father, he admits that he's struggling to believe. He's honest about it, and he asks for help. And this is the kind of help that the Holy Spirit will give us. We can pray that same prayer. Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. But if we're going to get to that destination of faithfulness, we have to move from belief to trust. We need to say, God, I trust you enough to put my life into your hands. Some of you listening right now, you've never quite done that. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And it's hard to do because you have to give up control. But if that's you, this is your next step. Your next step is to put your faith in Jesus, to turn away, to repent of your old sinful life, to confess or declare that Jesus is your Lord, your master, and your savior, to be baptized and then to live as a new creation. And when you live as this new creation, you have a new power living inside of you to help you every day. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit. And as you surrender to the Spirit on a daily basis, He will help you take that third step of faithfulness. And that's where you say, God, I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will obey. The Spirit will teach you to obey even when you don't feel like it, even when there's a price to pay, even when you have to do the right thing for the 10,000th time and you didn't even want to do it the first time. You can develop a habit of obedience through the Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is hard work, and we don't always get it right. Being faithful is not the same thing as being perfect. We're always going to need the grace that God gives through Jesus. At the same time, though, every true follower of Jesus will start building a track record of honesty, and consistency, integrity, and faithfulness. And again, how does that happen? Not by our own willpower. It happens when you allow the Spirit to work in your life. 
He enables you to live that faithful life day in and day out. You know, if you look at the headlines, especially headlines about scandals in the church, you might assume that this kind of faithfulness is very rare. But don't believe that. There are plenty of faithful followers of Jesus. They just don't make the news. This week, I I came across a fake headline that you're probably not going to see in the news anywhere. The fake headline said, Loyal man of God remains faithful to his wife for yet another year. That kind of headline is not going to get very many clicks. But that's the kind of story that the Holy Spirit will write into your life. It's the kind of story that this younger generation needs to see in us. So let's allow the Spirit to work, to to grow this fruit of faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being the God who does not change. I thank you for being the God who is not intimidated by any problem, by any crisis, because you're above all that. And if we look to you and and we surrender to you and and ask that your power would, would show up in our lives and in this generation, you will answer those prayers. So I pray that right now, Lord. I pray for young people who are growing up in a crazy world, and I pray for the church to be faithful. And I pray that through that, people will come to know you through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.